A bada bing bada bam. Welcome to this week's Bacon a Mystery, Bacon a Murder episode. And the setting has changed, but this is part two of The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Okay, please, I have raved about this book. This is probably one of my favorite books of this entire year, and the year just started, but I'm telling you, this is gonna stay with me. It's already in my heart. It's been like a week. I'm still thinking about this freaking book. I've already picked up a couple of other Taylor Jenkins Reads books, and I've started them. They're all so fantastic. I'm going to leave all of that linked in the description. So in part one, we talked about Monique Grant, our main character. She's half black, half white. Her dad is black. He used to work as um, a photographer on movie sets like back in the, the 60s, but he ended up passing away when she was young. So Monique is mainly close with her mom now, and they don't see each other often. Monique moved to New York City trying to chase her big dreams, you know, and it just seems like... Seems like the city's been rough to her. The city's been tough on her. Her husband left her for a work promotion in San Francisco. Okay, that's fine. Their relationship is disintegrating right in the middle of her palms. He didn't even care to get her opinion on whether she wanted to move to SF, whether he should move to SF. He just did not consider her job as even something important to think about, something to consider. Which her job is pretty cool, by the way. She works as a writer for um, like a magazine called Vivant. And even though she does some really good work, she had this one fantastic piece on a right-to-die dilemma. So that's mainly talking about like physician-assisted suicide. But now, now most of her time, she spends writing about salad trends in New York City. It's invigorating stuff. It's life-changing. We need to know. Are people still eating tuna cottos? What's the next big thing? That is, until Evelyn Hugo, the famous movie star from the 60s, I mean, think Marilyn Monroe, think Elizabeth Taylor, asked her to help her write a biography. And it can only be published after Evelyn Hugo is dead. Is she dying? We don't know. But other than that, she said, Monique, I'm going to tell you everything. I'm going to tell you every sordid detail about every single one of the seven marriages that I've had to some of the most powerful, elite executives, uh, actors, politicians, directors. So Monique has been going over to Evelyn Hugo's place every single day on the Upper East Side to help her with her biography. And there's a few conditions about this biography. Evelyn Hugo says, Monique, you get all the money for my biography. But the only condition is that it can only be published once I'm dead. Is she dying? Is she not dying? So many questions. But she said that she's willing to tell Monique everything, every sordid detail about every single one of her seven marriages that she's had to some of the most powerful, elite executives, producers, actors in the industry. So Monique is jotting down all these notes. But the lingering question that we kind of explored in part one was, um, why the hell Monique, you know? Why did she choose her? They didn't even know each other before. It's kind of weird. So in part one, we talked about Evelyn's rise to fame, her first marriage to poor Ernie Diaz, and then her wild marriage to goddamn Don Adler, a Hollywood nepotism baby that beat her during the entire marriage. When they divorced, he is now on a mission to make sure that she is blackballed from the industry, but Evelyn doesn't care. She's certain that she can build everything back up from scratch. Besides, she has moved on already. Evelyn has fallen in love with her arch nemesis on set, the woman that is trying to take all the Oscars. 
Celia St. James. So those two, they're dating. But they can't come out because this is like during a time where being gay or bisexual or anything that was not as straight as this pencil. This is not a pencil. As straight as this. What is this? A spoon. A spoon. Wait, that's not really that straight. It's giving a little bit bisexuality. I'm just kidding. As straight as this chest, okay? If there is nothing that straight, it's just in any industry during this time period, especially Hollywood, it was unacceptable. And I'm not just saying unacceptable. They would find reasons to throw you in jail or put you in the psych ward. That's what they did. They wouldn't flat out say it's because you're gay, but basically that's why. So they had to keep their love a secret. Celia St. James is gay. Evelyn Hugo is bisexual. They love each other, but it's just a struggle. So with that, let's get into part two while I smash $500 worth of raspberries. I'm kidding, it was like $20, but that's a lot of raspberries. What are you making? It's like chocolate covered strawberries, but with raspberries, maybe even easier. So I'm gonna smash these up while we get into part two. Monique's mom never really liked David. David is Monique's husband, by the way. And I mean, David was okay. He was polite, but Monique's mom could see, for, as, a, as a parent, she could see that there was no passion. There was no connection. There was no strong love Wait, there. I'm so sorry, who's Monique? Monique is the writer that's working for Evelyn Hugo right now. Oh, okay, oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's Monique like Grant. out of the story. <laughs> I know. Okay. Okay, so Monique's, um, Monique Grant's mom doesn't really like David. Yeah, David is, um, David the is the one who left her to for San, Fran San Francisco. Okay. Yes, for his job opportunity. I, I, they were just, like, he's kind, he's polite, but you know when you just look at two people and they're not madly in love? Like, you don't really see the passion. You don't really see the connection there. It just is one of those things where she had to let Monique find out the hard way that maybe they weren't meant to be together. If Monique's dad had still been alive, maybe things would have been different. Maybe things would have played different. Maybe she wouldn't have even married David. Maybe he would have been the one that Monique called when she was thinking about getting a divorce. Maybe he would be the one that would visit New York City to comfort her. Not that Monique's mom is second best or is like cold rice, don't get me wrong, but there was just a special bond between Monique and her dad. He's the one that actually pushed her into journalism. He didn't even know it. She was just a little kid. And he told her, you have to find a job that makes your heart feel big instead of a job that makes your heart feel small. Mm -hmm. So he made her promise that's what she would do when she grew up. Monique wondered, would she have even turned out this way? Would she have so passionately chased her dreams if her dad hadn't died? Because she wondered, and I quote, I freaking love Taylor Jenkins' read, Her Mind is Brilliant. But she said, would I have clung on to his every word so tightly if I felt his advice was unlimited? Hmm. Isn't that so good? But enough about Monique. Let's get into husband number three of the movie actress, Evelyn Hugo. Gullible Mick Riva, husband number three. Evelyn was dropped from all the productions that she was set to star in, uh, courtesy of Don Adler, scheming ex-husband, small wee-wee, angry little man-child. So Evelyn's life is falling apart at the seams. Meanwhile, her girlfriend Celia is on the top of her career. She's going to go to the Oscars to see if she won an Oscar. I mean, surprisingly, it does not cause tension in their relationship. Like with uh, the marriage to Don Adler, anytime he wasn't doing as well, or if Evelyn was shining a bit too strong, there was just this weird buzz of tension in their relationship. But Evelyn genuinely felt so happy for Celia. Maybe this was real love. Like maybe this is what it's supposed to feel like. 
Evelyn was happy from the bottom of our heart. Even if it kind of pained her a little, so Celia would be getting ready for the Oscars and she was stressing about every little hair that was out of place. And then she would turn around and say, this is so dumb. I can't believe that I'm complaining about this when you're... When you're gonna, when you're gonna stay home and you know your career's not doing well, and I'm sitting here, oh my god, the Oscars and my hair. And Evelyn's like, no, I love you, Celia. Go have fun. I believe in you. Break a leg. And right before Celia leaves, she says, if I don't win, will you still love me? And Evelyn thought that she was joking until she looked into Celia's eyes and she realized. She was dead serious. Is this what actors and actresses have become? They're so scared of losing an Oscar. Evelyn says, you could be nobody living in a cardboard box and I would still love you, Celia. So that night, Celia goes to the Oscars while Evelyn sits on the, in front of the TV, in front of the couch, and she watches the woman that she loves walking the red carpet. And in the blink of an eye, she went from feeling like an outsider again. She said it was the strangest thing. Like when you're at these award shows, she said it feels small. It feels unimpressive. You know everybody there. These are normal people, whatever people. You, the stage is right there. It's not that grand. But when you watch it from the screen, everything looks so grand. Everyone looks so put together. You start feeling jealous of their lives. Even though Evelyn knew these people, she knew what kind of lives they lived. None of them were worth hating yourself over. But so quickly... She was an outsider again. Now, all those thoughts, they quieted down when they announced the winner for the Best Supporting Actress. And the award goes to Celia St. James for Little Woman. So Evelyn jumps off the couch and she sprung for the TV to kiss the screen as she watched the love of her life walk up to claim her golden statue. And the moment that she makes contact with the TV, a clunk. Evelyn had chipped her tooth on the TV. No. Yeah. Like broken? A little bit. Oh my gosh. But it didn't matter because Evelyn was too happy to care. After the adrenaline wore off, Evelyn tucked herself into the bed. Celia wasn't going to be home anytime soon. Um, not with all the parties that she would be called to as an Oscar winner. But the door opened before Evelyn could drift asleep. Why aren't you out celebrating? I only wanted to celebrate with you. Nothing means anything without you, Evelyn. Everything that isn't you is a pile of dog <laughs> Wait, what happened to your tooth? <laughs> Evelyn's like, wait, isn't that noticeable? I, I suppose not. I think I've just memorized every inch of you. It's embarrassing, really. I, uh, I kissed the TV screen when you won. I kissed you on the TV and I chipped my tooth. Damn, they're just... Yeah. Love story, huh? Celia laughed so hard, the Oscar flopped off from the bed. That is the most lovable thing anyone has ever done since the dawn of man. And she's like, now, have you ever made love to an Oscar winner? Ah! <laughs> Stop it. Stop it right now. Evelyn smiled and the night was just bliss. Maybe it was supposed to be one good night before reality hit. Because soon enough, Evelyn would sober up to what it meant to be blackballed from the industry. Both her movies were a flop. While Don starred in this hit thriller with Ruby Riley as his love interest. That freaking beats, remember her? The two would end up getting married, by the way. It was a show. Now, anyway, a romance Celia did sold out in theaters. Evelyn was in a funk, and she knew it. The whole world knew it. She had to get out of town. So she goes to Paris. I don't know how she ended up there, but she did. If she was gonna flop and seek movies outside of Hollywood, the French movie scene was the way to go. At least she could say, you wouldn't know. I was chasing the arts in France because I'm cultured, and you're a stupid idiot. 
raspberry puree. That looks cool. Now you put them into little globs and you put them in the freezer for a little bit to let them freeze to harden. It was at a bar in Paris that she runs into a director by the name of Max Gerard. Girard. Not me trying to be French, okay? Now, if you know Evelyn, you know nothing is a coincidence. She knew who he was. He had never heard of Evelyn Hugo before, but like all the other straight men that stood before her, it didn't matter her name, it didn't matter her occupation or what she liked to drink or anything. He just wanted a piece of her. So they start talking about their jobs. And uh, Max is like, I don't know if I've ever met a woman so attractive. And you can act better than I look. That cannot be. And so just like that, Evelyn had booked for a new French movie that Max was directing. The movie was about two petty thieves who were on the run to Switzerland, but they get distracted by this beautiful bombshell on the way, and the three of them go on an adventure to remember. Now, of course, there's going to be a topless scene, because we're talking about French movies. Max, the director, he's insisting. The French movies are a bit wilder than the American ones, you know? Evelyn could feel the energy the moment that she stepped onto the set. She honestly had a fun time filming the whole thing until the very last day. Max is like, it's time. We're doing the topless shot. The very end scene. You're gonna be coming out of the lake slowly with your hair slicked back wet from the lake water and the camera's gonna slowly pan down boobies. (laughs) Boom! Theaters will be sold out. Max was sold on the idea. Probably because he himself wanted to see as much as he could, you know? But Evelyn had a better idea. She said, yeah, fine, I'll do the topless shot, but why don't we cut it a millisecond before you see Evelyn's full breast? It would cut to black. They would do it right before, and it's almost as if someone tampered with the footage, as if it was a bad take. It would leave everyone feeling frustrated. It would leave them wanting more. And Evelyn said, there's just so much anticipation and it never pays off. No matter how many times you watch it, no matter how perfectly you pause the tape, and that's why it worked. Because no matter your gender or your sexual orientation, we all just want to be teased. Okay. He's like, no, I don't. Show me. (laughs) Okay. So six months after this movie, and because I think it worked more because she didn't show everything. So it worked. Oh my God. Six months after this release, Evelyn Hugo was an international sensation. International sensation. And to celebrate, Harry took Evelyn and Celia to a concert that Mick Riva was hosting. Mick Riva is a singer that all the women in the crowd, they were basically snapping their ankles, falling all over the place for him. Celia didn't get the hype, and all three of them would laugh all night. And whether it was the booze or the music or the happiness that finally Evelyn's life was back on track, Evelyn reached over and grabbed Celia's hand. And they held it a moment too long. And it shocked Celia. Harry even froze. And as quickly as Evelyn grabbed her hand, she retreated. But it was too late. There was a woman staring straight at Evelyn. And she frowned. She had seen it. She had seen them hold hands. She had seen Evelyn pull it back as if she had something to hide. It wasn't like a friendly holding hand gesture. And now staring at Evelyn, Evelyn's eyes betrayed her. She knew that Evelyn didn't want her to see any of that. Any hope that she didn't register what was going on went out the window when the lady starts whispering to her husband. And the husband looks back at Evelyn and he scowls. What? Yeah. The next day, it was all over the news. 
Evelyn Hugo and Celia St. James slumber parties. How close is too close? Lately, we're starting to wonder if these two aren't up to something. Sure, plenty of girlfriends go shopping together, but Celia's car is parked outside of Evelyn's house every single night, all night long. So what's happening behind those walls? Whatever it is, it doesn't sound like it's on the straight and narrow. Yeah, that's how Evelyn got married for the third time. She approached Celia and she said, I'm going on a date with Mick Riva. What? Like hell you are, Evelyn. Why would you go on a date with frickin' Mick Riva? Celia was pissed. She wasn't understanding what was at stake here. And Evelyn's like, you don't get it, Celia. I don't have a choice. Celia's like, we have plenty of choices. Yeah, not if you want to keep your job. Not if you want to keep this house. Not if you want to keep any of your friends. Not to mention the police would come for us. Evelyn, you're being paranoid. I'm not. That's what's scary. But I'm telling you, they know. One article in the paper that suggests something and you think that they know? Yeah, right now is perfect. It's early enough that we can stop all of this. Celia's like, yeah, or it's going to be old news tomorrow and it's going to go away on its own. Evelyn is so frustrated. She's like, Celia, you have two movies coming out next year. My movie is all anyone can talk about. Exactly, Evelyn. We can do whatever the f*** we want. No, we have a lot to lose. Why are you not seeing that? Celia snapped. She didn't agree. She didn't want to spend her life hiding from the truth, hiding from the world. Celia's feelings are valid, don't get me wrong, but Evelyn was a bit more of a realist. Celia didn't understand why people just couldn't understand. Why the world couldn't just realize that reality doesn't matter. Love is love. But Evelyn insists they won't. They're not going to try. There are lots of things all people should try and do, but it doesn't work that way. Just because we want them to understand doesn't mean they're going to even try to understand us. Celia feels like Evelyn is making up excuses. And Evelyn, you're just scared to lose everything. You're scared to lose, you know, your career, your house, your friends. That's what you care about. But Evelyn's getting frustrated because she's like, yeah, so are you. You're just not thinking clearly. I'm thinking for the both of us. I have to go out there and I have to do the hard things, make the hard choices for both of us. Celia, I love you and I cannot let you throw away everything that you've built and all of your incredible talent by taking a stand when nobody else is willing to stand with us. And Celia's getting upset like, but what if we're not even trying? Celia, you're picturing a world where we go up against Goliath and we win, but that's not what's going to happen. We tell the truth, they will bury us. We could end up in a prison, a mental hospital. It's not that far-fetched. It happens. This is the world we live in, Celia. Celia burst into tears. Evelyn wiped them with her thumbs, and she said, I love you so much. You're an idealist and a romantic, and you have a beautiful soul, and I wish the world was ready to be the way you see it. I wish the rest of us and the rest of the people with us were capable of living up to your expectations. But they aren't. The world is ugly and nobody wants to give anyone the benefit of doubt on anything. And I love you too much to let you live only for me. And so with that, Celia cried and argued. It's not wrong. It shouldn't be wrong to love you. How can it be wrong? And Evelyn reassured her, it's not wrong. It's not. They're wrong. So after exhausting themselves, crying in each other's arms, Evelyn filled Celia in on her master PR plan. She was going to get Mick Riva, the singer, to elope with her in Vegas and then annul the marriage in 24 hours. That was the only way to get people talking. Just being seen with a guy wasn't going to cut it. People would say, oh, of course, there's rumors that she's 
So now she's going on a date. Okay. It had to be drastic. It had to be juicy. Something so wild that all the tabloids would take the story and run with it. Celia's like, you think that means they'll stop watching us? No. It means they're going to watch me more. But they'll be looking for other things. They'll call Evelyn, me, a fool. Say I have terrible taste in men. They'll say that I'm a bad wife. I'm too impulsive. But to say that, they have to stop saying that I'm with you. Because it no longer fits their story anymore. Who's the guy? The singer. And he's down to get married? Oh, he's obsessed with Evelyn Hugo. Yeah. Like, he talks about her in interviews all the time. He's like, if there's one person I would marry, it's like Evelyn Hugo. Yeah, she's like the starlet, right? So Celia's like, okay, I get it. You'll do whatever you have to do, but this is the last time I want to hear about it, and I want it over and done as soon as possible. And when it's over, I want us to move in together. Evelyn knew that wouldn't happen, but she couldn't say no to Celia looking so hopeful over their burgers, so Evelyn just kind of nodded. But she had the perfect plan, and it had to be executed with precision. The first thing to do was to challenge a man to Las Vegas. How do you do that? You go with them to an L.A. club. You wear the best dress. Show cleavage, but not too much. Act like you don't know that he's staring at your cleavage. Act like you don't know what kind of effect your boobies have on him. Just glow. And make him think that he's playing you. That's the only way, okay? It works both ways. You want a scandal. He wants the world to know that he f***s you. Those two are the same. So your interests are aligned, technically. You ask him, have you ever been to Vegas? Get him to peacock his feathers. Is that how you say it, you know? Of course I've been. You've been? I've only been once. I miss it sometimes, you know? Oh, it's probably too late to go anytime soon, but... I mean, we're already here. I guess this bar will do. Perfect opportunity. Any guy like Mick would jump at this chance. My guy can have a plane like that. Oh no, it's too much, truly. I mean, this bar is fun. Not for you. Nothing's too much for you, Evelyn. You know what he really means, though. Nothing is too much for me. I can do anything I want. You coyly ask him, you could really do that? Just like that? And just like that, you're on a plane. You have a bit too much to drink, or at least you look like you did. You sit on his lap, and when he touches your butt, you slap it away. You get to Vegas. You balk at the idea of sharing a room. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't have sex outside of marriage. Sorry. And when you're rolling dice, you drink champagne because it makes everything seem like a celebration. When people recognize you two, take pictures, lots of them. Hold on to his arm in front of everyone and watch him watch men stare at him in envy. Every time you win, you jump up and down because you know what he wants to see. Get his imagination going. And he says, we should get out of here. You say, oh, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't trust myself with you alone. He has another drink. He brings up getting married. Be shocked. Make him feel like it's his idea. He's pushing you. He's like, let's do it, baby. Oh my god, Mick, you're so crazy. We can't get married. Are you crazy? Of course we can. We can do anything we want. You think about it. And then you throw yourself on him and whoop with joy. You act like this was his big idea and you're just this naive little girl in for the ride. He picks you up, swings you around, carries you to the Vegas chapel. People watch and take pictures. You know it's going to be all over the tabloids tomorrow. This is happening or she's... It's happening. So you're telling me men are that predictable. So predictable. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Look at you. We're getting married. For what? <laughs> For freaking what? We can do anything. <laughs> we can do anything. Woo! <laughs> I feel like these days my life 
feels like a blur, okay? I mean, I wake up, I get 50% of my to-do list done, and it's already time to sleep and wake up and do it all over again. I have been trying to be really good about scheduling in time for myself, and one of the best ways that I do that is with Daily Harvest. I ordered a bunch of Daily Harvest to our place in New York City, and I just kept thinking, you know, I'm going to put it in the freezer. It's just for backup. If I'm really, really busy, I'll just eat a Daily Harvest bowl. Maybe a soup or one of their delicious flatbreads or their snacks, smoothies, lattes. I mean, they have everything. I'll just grab and eat on the go. Daily Harvest is built on organic fruits and vegetables. So I was like, okay, I'm going to feel good about how I'm fueling my body. That's how it started. I thought it was going to be backup, but I ended up starting to gravitate towards Daily Harvest, even when I'm not swamped with work. It's so good. Daily Harvest works directly with farmers. They source the best ingredients. They freeze them at peak ripeness. They lock in the flavor and the nutrients, and they never use artificial preservatives or ingredients ingredients, which is like a huge thing for us. It's so nice that everything stays fresh in my freezer. And honestly, I've been reducing food waste too, because if I'm not in town or I have a ton of dinners out, I know that I'm not wasting food at home. But whenever I do get slammed with work, I always have something to eat at home. It is so convenient. I just love that I never have to think twice about what to eat next or what to snack on. I have been hooked on their artichoke and spinach flatbread. I put it in the toaster oven. Uh, The crunch, the flavors in my mouth, They also have this broccoli rice and dill pilaf harvest bowl. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. My favorite is their tomato and zucchini minestrone soup. Daily Harvest does all the work and I can just eat and enjoy. It's like a win-win. So let Daily Harvest do more so you can do less. Go to dailyharvest.com slash baking to get up to $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash baking for up to $40 off your first box. So that night you have This is the important part. You must be horrible. You cannot be good. You must disappoint. If you're good, he's going to want to do it again. And that's not going to result in an annulled marriage. When he tries to rip off your dress, don't enjoy it. Don't even be like, oh my gosh, stop. You must lecture him like a mother. Stop it, Mick. Jesus Christ, get a hold of yourself. Lie there, stiff as a board. Until he's done. Just close your eyes. Do nothing. You want to cry because you remember that this is something sacred that you're supposed to do with a person that you love who's waiting for you at home. But you don't think about that. This is for the both of you. And when he's done, you fall asleep. In the morning, you wake up late. Wake up so late that he's already showered and smelling fresh and you still smell like booze and you've got makeup smeared all over your face. Tell him you refuse to have fun in the morning. Sorry. Take all the fun out of it. And in the morning when he's sucked of joy, he's going to sober up and sit on the edge of the bed and say, You know, Evelyn, you're nothing like I imagined. But we were drunk. So drunk. Both of us. We had no idea what we were doing last night, right? I know. It was crazy. Look, I'm not a good guy. You don't deserve a guy like me. I don't deserve a girl like you. It's unoriginal, cringy at best. You want to laugh because you played him. You want, but you stop. You pretend to sound sick. You're like, no, we weren't that drunk. He insists that you guys call your teams and get the marriage annulled. You pretend to protest, but he says, I'm afraid I can't take no for an answer, Evelyn. And with that, he leaves. And you throw the phone at him while he walks out the door. For good measure, because it's what he would have wanted. And you already got what you want. It's only fair that you give him what he wants, right? But you were right. It's all over the news. The 24-hour marriage of Evelyn Hugo. It's all anyone will ever talk about. Shopping dates between two best friends? That's lame. That's second-page news compared to the 24-hour failed marriage of Evelyn Hugo. 
For two months, Evelyn and Celia's lives were bliss. They never talked about Mick. They could be more comfortable out in public with each other because now it seemed like two best friends helping each other through another heartbreak. It all worked out perfectly until Evelyn found out she was pregnant. <gasps> what? From that one night? Celia threw her iced tea glass to the other side of the pool, shattering it, and then threw herself into the pool to scream underwater. Actresses can be very dramatic. You slept with him? What? I thought it was implied. Well, it wasn't implied. Celia ran off in anger, leaving Evelyn to chase her around the house, leaving pool water just from room to room, puddles of it. Celia, let's just talk about it, please. This is not a life, Evelyn. Yes, it is. This is our life, and we've sacrificed so much for it, and you can't just give up now. Yes, I can. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to pretend to live by myself in Hollywood when I truly live here with you in this house, and I certainly don't want to love a woman who would some singer just so the world doesn't suspect that she loves me. Celia, you're twisting the truth. I did this for you. You're a coward, and I can't believe I ever thought differently, Evelyn. You didn't do a goddamn thing for me. You did this for you. You did it because you can't stand the idea of not being the most famous woman on the planet. You did it to protect yourself and your precious fans. That's who you did it for, not me. Celia, you really think your conservative family from Georgia is going to stick by you if they knew? Really? If they knew what you are? What we are, Evelyn. Don't go around trying to pretend that you're different from me. I am different, Celia. And you know that I am. I can love a man. I can go marry any man I want and have children and be happy. And we both know that wouldn't come easily for you. So you think you're better than me? Is that what's going on? You think I'm sick and you think you're just playing some sort of game? That's not what Evelyn meant at all, but it was kind of too late. The words were already out and she couldn't take them back. There's no Costco return policy for words. She's just started digging her grave a little bit deeper. If they find out about us, they'll forgive me the minute I marry another man. And they'll forget I even knew you. I can survive this, Celia, but I'm not sure that you can. Because you'd either have to fall in love with a man or marry one that you don't love. And I don't think that you're capable of doing either. I'm worried for you, Celia, more than I'm worried for me. So that's why I did what I thought would work. Well, it didn't work, Evelyn. You're pregnant. Celia snapped at her. And you know what? You're a Evelyn, you let men you for fame, and that's why I'm leaving you. Yikes. Evelyn froze while she watched Celia get into her car. Celia was sobbing, and she screamed out the window. I loved you so much, I thought you were the meaning of my life. But I don't want to be meant for someone like you. And that was the fight that would end them. Evelyn wasn't... She didn't realize until it was too late, but Celia was already reversing out of the driveway, and Evelyn did nothing to stop her. Instead, she walked back inside and called Harry. They drove down to Mexico, paid someone an obscene amount of money, and drove back together. Evelyn broke the silence on the way home. Do you think I'm a Harry? And I love Taylor Jenkins Reid for this, but Harry says, I think you're brilliant. I think you're tough. I think the word is something ignorant people throw around when they have nothing else. It's convenient. When men make the rules, the only thing that they look down on most is the thing that would bear the greatest threat. Imagine if every single woman on the planet wanted something in exchange for when she gave up her body. You'd all be ruling the place. So, am I a or not? Who knows? We're all in some way or another. I like you this way though, Evelyn. You're impure, scrappy, formidable. I like the Evelyn Hugo who sees the world for what it is and goes after what she wants and wrestles it from the world.
They drove home in silence, and that night they shared a bed. They didn't do anything. Harry um, is like her best friend. But Harry was the one that stayed with her, nursed her wounds, more like a brother. Family. He was the only one that felt like family. Because Evelyn and Celia would not talk for another five years. And by then, everything would have changed. Monique was confused. She's sitting there writing this down and she goes, Wait, what do you mean you didn't talk to Celia for five years? How long were you guys together at this point? About three years. And she left without another word. Did you try calling her? I thought that if she didn't want me, if she didn't understand why I did what I did, I didn't need her. And you were okay with that? No, I was miserable. I mean, sure, I had fun in the five years, don't get me wrong, but I ached all along. She was gone now. The love of my life was gone, and I can't just call her and say I'm sorry and have her come back. She was gone forever. So yes, that is something that I regret every second that I didn't spend with her. You don't think I regret it? Now it's too late, because she's dead. And that's how we head into marriage number four with Clever Rex North. His name is Rex North. And for once, Evelyn was open with her husband. For once, both of them knew exactly what the other party wanted, and they were happy with it. They wanted their new movie to break records. Rex wanted to have sex with every walking, talking, breathing woman. And Evelyn just wanted to be the biggest star in Hollywood and a few million dollars richer. These are very humble goals. (laughs) I would say two very ambitious people. I would say that it's also the most honest deal that Evelyn has ever made with anybody. The most honest marriage that she might have had up until this point. And it would be the reason Celia would come back to her. When Evelyn presented the offer to Rex North, the first question out of his mouth almost made her chuckle. He's sitting there and he's thinking, wait, so you're never going to have sex with me. Evelyn wasn't too sure. I mean, she's saying, I mean, you're handsome. I could see myself maybe falling for your overused lines once or twice, maybe if I'm drunk. But no, that's not what this deal is about. There's way too much money on the line. Neither of us are going to sleep in the same bed, sleep with each other, or fall in love, or get romantically involved. This is an easy deal. It's strictly PR. It's strictly business. That's it. This feels like another plot of like a romance movie where they start falling in love. (laughs) (laughs) But the other one, I mean, the falling in love one is easy. But the other one of not sleeping together. I mean, who can say when there's two hot people in the room, right? Rex thought the idea of it was just so amusing that he could sleep with anyone in the world except his own wife. Evelyn warned him, though, you just can't get caught cheating or else it would be a big story and it would make her look bad like a woman who can't even seduce her husband enough that he has to go look for it somewhere else. It'd be a big story. So he reassured her that he would never do anything to make her look foolish. And there it was, blasted all over the headlines. Evelyn Hugo marries Rex North, her fifth marriage, fifth times the charm. And they made headlines once more when their movie broke box office records. So around the same time, Celia St. James also made headlines for getting married to a quarterback, an American football player named John Braverman. He plays for the New York Giants, and this would be Celia's first marriage. And the two of them literally look like the America sweetheart couple. Oh, he's a football player? Yeah. Ah, mm-hmm. Okay. And for a while, life felt as normal as possible. The pain subsided and Evelyn focused on work. The night of the Academy Awards, Rex and Evelyn sat there with big smiles plastered on their faces when they lost to show support for the winners. Evelyn was disappointed, but she wasn't surprised. It seemed too good to be true anyway. Evelyn was trying to prove herself to the Academy and they freaking knew it. She could never win. 
They wanted her to stay in her lane and show her boobs because that's what she was good for, right? The morning after the Academy Awards, Evelyn was rudely awoken by her phone ringing. She's hungover. She's searching for her phone. She's dehydrated. Hello? Harriet's really early right now. Paramount wants to sign you and Rex in a three-picture deal. What? They want three movies produced by us starring you and Rex. Sam said, name a price. A price? What do you mean, name a price? You want a million bucks a picture? I heard that's what Dawn's asking for these days. We could get that for you. Evelyn was thinking. Sure, she loved money, but it wasn't her main motivation. What she really wanted to do was get a million bucks a picture, mail Dawn Adler a copy of it with a photo of her middle finger attached. And Harry says, whatever movies you want, they don't even want to control it. We choose. It's a blind deal. Whatever films you and Rex star in, the next three Paramount wants to buy. All because of our last movie? We've proven that your name brings people to the theater. And I think Sam Poole, the executive at Paramount, wants to screw over Ari Sullivan. I think he wants to show Ari that he threw away something and he can make gold out of that thing. So get up, get your agents on the line, and let's ask for the moon. Evelyn, you know what's about to happen, right? What? You're about to become the highest paid actress in Hollywood. And for the next two and a half years, Evelyn and Rex would stay married, living in the same house in different rooms, shooting movies for Paramount. They had an entire staff of people running around, making their lives easier, making sure these movies got made. They had just finished their last movie. It was set to premiere in a couple of months, and everything was perfect. They had done the three-picture deal until Rex tried to f*** it up. Evelyn, I'm in love. What? In love? Look, I know it sounds crazy. Trust me, I know, but... I'm in love. With whom? Joy Nathan. We've been seeing each other on and off for years, and I started feeling and wondering what it would be, be like to have a woman in my bed when I woke up in the mornings. And when I thought about who I wanted that person to be, it was, it's always Joy. It's always Joy. And now I can't stop thinking about her, and I want to be around her all the time. Oh, great. Well, that's wonderful, Rex. Oh, thank God. I hoped you would agree. So, what should we do? Joy and I would like to get married. Oh, f boy. Okay, their last movie is set to premiere in a few months. Evelyn starts working her brain. Okay. Easy, easy. The stress of our schedules and being on set. Uh, the last movie, we had separate love interests. So watching each other have separate on-screen romances kind of ruined it for us, ruined our relationship. We were getting jealous. Okay, yeah, uh, everyone will feel bad for us, but not too bad. We'll plan a story that I introduce you to Joy because I want you to be happy, and then you guys can get married. Evelyn, that's great. That's a great idea. I love it. Except Joy is pregnant. We're having a baby. Okay, okay, now what? So... Okay, well now we have to say that we've been separated for a while. Not just on paper, but we have been living separate lives. But the problem is, if Joy has a baby and Rex runs off to marry her, Evelyn would be a laughing stock, a woman that's not capable of keeping her husband interested. It would be an embarrassment. So, so what do we do? What do we do? We have um, Harry walks in the living room at that exact mo moment. Good morning, you guys. Okay, during the course of the movie about both of us having affairs, we both started having affairs. You with Joy and me with Harry. Excuse me, what? Hey, Harry. Okay, people know that we've been working together. They've been seeing us together. You've been in the background of hundreds of my photos, and they'll believe it. We'll divorce immediately, and anyone who wants to blame you for cheating on me, well, they can't, because all of this will be a victimless crime. We've both been having affairs. I guess that's not a terrible idea. Yeah, except the part where we both look bad. That's true. 
and Harry smiles. At least it'll sell tickets. The only way to sell the story was to make sure that both the affairs seemed undeniable. Clearly, Rex's affair was undeniable because he got his mistress knocked up. But what about Evelyn? They needed something explosive. They had to break the news with Evelyn first, before Joy's pregnancy. Otherwise, everything would look like damage control. Harry and Evelyn had to be caught in the act. They would stage paparazzi pictures of themselves near their cars, leaving Harry's home sharing a passionate goodbye kiss. How salacious. Evelyn cheating on her actor husband with the producer of many of her films. It was perfect. While they waited for the car, for the paparazzi to drive up, Harry whispered to her, There's something I should tell you. I'm seeing John Braverman. Celia's John Braverman? Yes. The circle is so small. Yeah. How long? So their marriage is, she doesn't, it's fake. She doesn't love him. They sleep in separate beds. Have, have you seen Celia? Yes. Did she ask about me? She doesn't love him, though? She didn't ask about you, but no, she doesn't love him. And Evelyn asked if Harry had done this before, and he looks at her like she's an idiot. Of course I have. He tells her that he's been with a woman before. Well, did you like it? That one is a bit harder to answer. Well, then pretend I'm a man. Pretend you have to kiss me. And he's like, okay, I can kiss you unprompted, Evelyn. I, I don't need you to direct me. And in that moment of vulnerability, Harry asks Evelyn something crazy. Do you want to get married? I mean, we're all pretending to marry everyone else for PR for whatever reason. We could really do it though, you know? It's not so crazy after all. I love you, Evelyn. Maybe not in the way a husband is supposed to love his wife, but enough, I think. Harry, that's insane. If this works, if people buy it, maybe we could raise a family together. Don't you want a family? I mean, I think so, eventually. We could be great for each other, Evelyn, and we won't just give up on each other because we know each other better than that by now. I can't tell if you're being serious. I'm dead serious. Just think about it. You want to marry me. I want to be with someone I love. I want a companion. I don't want to live alone anymore. I want a child. I want a family. And we could have that together. I can't give you everything. I know that. But I want to raise a family with you. But our, our proclivities, how would that work? Same as you and Rex. I do what I do, discreetly of course, and you do what you do, discreetly of course. Before Evelyn could think, Harry was pressed up against her, passionately kissing her, and for a split second he slips her hand under her gown, pretending like uh, he doesn't see the guy snapping pictures furiously from the bushes. The image was all over the news the next day. Scandalous. Shocking. The four of them were the talk of the whole nation. Lustful little sinners. And of course they were rewarded. Their movie set a record for the longest to stay in theaters. It was one of the most successful marriages that Evelyn had to date. So husband number five. Brilliant, kind-hearted, tortured Harry Cameron. After five years, Evelyn finally bumped into Celia at the Academy Awards, of all places. Both of them were nominated. Both of them showed up with their husbands that were dating each other. <laughs> Harry they might as well just go John. back to each other, too. Yes, but they weren't romantically involved with their husbands, you know? So this time, there was something different about Celia. The way that she carried herself, she was a bit more mature. It's like she had found herself. She looked fantastic. And the two of them, her and her all-American quarterback husband, were a sight for sore eyes. Gorgeous. Harry leaned over and whispered lovingly in Evelyn's ears, Ev, you're staring. Oh, sorry. Evelyn sat in her chair, nervous to see if she had won. Nervous Celia was in the same room as her. Nervous that they would never talk again after this. Evelyn didn't win. Neither did Celia. 
It's fine. She was used to it. She excused herself to the bathroom to cry. Look, it was less about the Oscar. She cared. Yeah, she did. But more than that, Evelyn had told herself, if I win, I'm going to go talk to Celia. If I just win, it's a sign to go talk to Celia. But she didn't win. And she cried. And a voice broke the silence. Evelyn? Celia? I saw you come in here and I thought maybe you weren't... I thought maybe you were upset. I'm trying to be happy for Ruby, but it's not exactly my style. Yeah, well, me either. Evelyn opened the door and there she was, blue dress, red hair, and they both stared at each other. You're as gorgeous as ever. Yeah, well, you're not so bad yourself. And Celia said, well, we should probably get going before we get caught. I know you'd hate for them to think that we were up to it again. The two, in the most stubborn way possible, try to apologize. And you know when, like, two prideful people argue? It's almost like a comical scene watching them kind of apologize. But you also know that both of them are genuinely sorry. They just don't know how to apologize. That's what was happening. And Celia asked, have you been with anyone else, though? Any other men? Interestingly, Celia was always jealous of men, feeling like she couldn't compete, that, that they had something that she didn't have. Evelyn was always jealous of women because she was worried she couldn't compare to the other women that Celia liked. And Evelyn said, I had a good time, Celia, and I'm sure you did too. Celia tried to explain that her marriage to John was fake, and before either of them could decipher what was going on, they were smashed up against each other in the bathroom. They didn't care who walked in, they didn't care who saw, they didn't care that the biggest names in the industry were on the other side of a thin wall. None of that mattered. It had been five years since they spoke. They were making up for lost time. I mean, they could have lost everything in that moment, everything that they worked so hard for, but they were willing to risk it all. And just like that, they were back on. They were the straightest, most most by couple ever. The two couple would go on double dates. Everyone would look at them. Oh my god, such heterosexual double dates. Boom, Harry is dating John the quarterback. Evelyn is dating Celia. The tabloids called them America's favorite double daters. The most scandalous <laughs> rumor about these two were that they were swapping wives. The public would rather believe that they were swapping wives than believe that they were by they even bought apartments in New York City, one block away from each other on the Upper East Side. And at night when nobody was up, Harry would slip into Celia and John's place and Celia would slip into Evelyn and Harry's place. They were living completely devil lives. But times were changing. The country were changing. There were protests, revolts against um, the police in the name of the right to be yourself, to love who you want to love. Celia wanted to join and the other said, absolutely not. Harry explained, we go down there. All we do is attract attention away from the cause and towards us. The story becomes about whether we're or not and not about the rights of people. So what do we do then? We can't just sit here and do nothing. We can't let them fight our fight for us. We give them what they don't have. What is that? Evelyn spoke up. Money. That's how the four of them began privately donating to LGBTQIA plus funds. They would continue for the rest of their lives. Celia won her second Oscar. Evelyn was in Miami filming a movie. And even if she wasn't, there's no way she could have gone with Celia. Celia called her after the big win, completely hammered in her hotel room. Can you believe it? I have two now. I wish you were here. I wish I was there too, Celia. But it's better this way. You know that. Ah, yeah. So people won't know that you're a Evelyn hated being called Not because anything was wrong with being a lesbian, clearly. But Celia often denied half of her. I mean, she was bisexual. Celia, stop it. I'm sick of this conversation. You're being a brat. Exactly the same Evelyn I've been dealing with years. Nothing has changed. You're afraid of who you are, and you still don't have an Oscar. 
You are what you've always been, which is just a nice pair of tits. Woo! Evelyn was in shock. What is going on? Silence. And then Celia started crying and apologizing. It's fine, Celia. It's late. I should get going. Congratulations again, sweetheart. And she hung up. And she realized that's the thing with Celia. That when she was hurt, she made sure that you were hurt too. It was seven years like this, living down the block in someone else's house, going on double dates everywhere, when Harry approached Evelyn with the topic of having children. They were nearly 40 now. Evelyn was 36 now. They had been married seven years. Harry wanted a baby. He wasn't demanding like Don Adler. He just wanted a family, and he was wondering if Evelyn felt the same way. She did. So they asked their partners, their real partners, and everyone says, you know what? Okay, it's fine. Even the fact that Evelyn and Harry are going to have to have multiple times until they get pregnant... It's fine, okay? And we can have whatever family we want to have. You know, Uncle John, Auntie Celia. It'll be great. And it was great. Celia was okay with it. She never wanted kids. She didn't like kids. But she didn't want to stop Evelyn or Harry from creating a family. It'd be kind of cute, honestly. I think the biggest hurdle would be that um, Harry could give Evelyn something that Celia couldn't. And Evelyn reassured her, you have given me more than I have ever thought I could have in one life. And I love you so much, Celia, that sometimes I look at all the crazy fan mail you get and I think, well, sure, that makes sense. I too want to collect her eyelashes. And just like that, baby Connor Cameron was born, their baby girl. And from the moment she was born, Evelyn's entire life changed. Evelyn kept thinking that she looked just like Celia, but she actually looked just like Harry, okay? She was perfect. And for a while, the family felt like a traditional married couple. Harry would make breakfast, take care of the baby while Evelyn took a bath. They slept in the same bed to make sure one person got up to take care of the baby when she cried at night. Harry comforted Evelyn when she cried about being a horrible mother because she accidentally scratched Connor's cheek during bath time. It was also around this time that Evelyn felt a stronger bond to Harry. She told him, If there are different types of soulmates, then you are one of mine. Harry read script after script looking for the next big hit for Evelyn. He knew that she was nervous that Hollywood would only want her for matronly roles now. That her value of her sex appeal was dying because she had given birth to a child. The one thing that the public demanded her to do with Don Adler and the rest of her freaking husbands was have a kid, start a family, be a woman, because that's what women are made for. And now that she had done it, they were adamant on punishing her for it. But it would be Celia that brought Evelyn her next big role. It's a sexy movie. Okay, just hear me out, Evelyn. It's directed by the French director that you know, Max. He made your career once. He could do it again. Think about it. You can audition to be the bombshell. I don't know, Celia. I, I'm a mother now and the whole world knows it. Yeah, that's exactly why you have to do it. Because you're a woman. You're a sensual woman. You're beautiful. You're desirable. Don't let them take that away from you. Don't let them de-sexualize you. Don't let your career be on their terms. You want to play mom in every role you take from now on? You want to play the nun? You want to play the teacher? No, uh, of course not. I want to play everything. So play everything. Evelyn agreed, but a small part of her knew that Celia wanted this so badly for her because she wanted to know that Evelyn didn't change. Celia wanted to be with a bombshell. Evelyn thought it was kind of funny. Celia had told her, yeah, go have a kid, but just don't act like a mom. So Evelyn read the script and decided to take the part. Even though there was a lot of nudity, she was going all out. Max wanted her for the part, except he was concerned. Are you sure, Evelyn? Yeah, I can do it, for sure, I'm ready. No, 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 it's not what you're thinking, Evelyn. You could be 96 years old and the whole world would still line up to see your chest. I'm saying, are you sure about Dawn? 
Don? You're playing opposite Don Adler. You're his love interest. <gasps> Evelyn wanted it, so she took it. Why? Because she wasn't scared of Don anymore. He wasn't a threat to her, and she was free and powerful, so why not? She could handle him. She even requested to meet Don for lunch before she signed on to the movie, just to get a feel. And that's how she ended up seeing her ex-husband for the first time in more than 15 years. Don looked older, he was still very handsome, but older, like he had been through some shit, and he just kept apologizing over lunch. I'm sober now, have been for 256 days. I was drunk when we were together. Yeah, and you were a cheater and a pig too. I know that, and I'm deeply sorry. Yeah, well, what am I supposed to do with that? What does that mean for me, Don? I know it doesn't make up for what I did to you. Yeah, well, it really doesn't. I just hope it makes you feel a little better to know that I was wrong, and I know that I was wrong, and I know that you deserve better, and I'm, I'm working hard every day to be a better man. Okay, well, it's awfully late now. You being a better man does nothing for me. But I won't hurt anyone like I did to you then. Look, Don, if your movies hadn't tanked and Ari hadn't dropped you from Sunset like you had him drop me, you probably would still be living high on the hog, drunk as a skunk, beating people. Evelyn, I'm sorry to say that you're most likely right. But I, I loved you, Evelyn. I loved you madly from the moment I saw you and I ruined it because I turned into a man that I wasn't proud of. And I'm sorry. I wish I could do it all over again and I wish I could fix my mistakes so that you never have to go through what you went through. But I can't do that. And I'm sorry, and all I can say is I'm dedicated to never behaving like that ever again. Evelyn looked at Don Adler. She didn't forgive him, but there wasn't a single bone in her body that was scared of him. So what the hell? Let's do the movie. But she made it clear. We're not friends, Don. We're not. But I think we can be friendly. Evelyn, I would be honored by friendly. Evelyn felt on top of the world again, but she would ruin it all soon. The movie they were filming, Evelyn played Patricia, a woman in love with a drug addict, and Don played Mark, the drug addict, right? And there was just something so raw there. The two of them, they had been through so much in their personal lives, and the way that they channeled it into the movie, this movie felt different. Everyone on set knew something was there. There was an energy. And it's not because they loved each other. It's not because they wanted to be back together. But the relationship between the drug addict and his uh, love interest was already so tense. There were so many complicated nuances. And that was the relationship between Evelyn and Don. It was just very, it was a lot. Evelyn put her heart and soul into this project. She threw herself into her work. Celia was clearly annoyed that she was on babysitting duty more and more. And the fact that Evelyn was on set with her ex-husband all day, every day, with a director that wanted to do all sorts of nasty things with her. So yeah, Celia might have regretted even pushing Evelyn to do the movie. But she supported her through and through. That is, told the love scene at the end. That was the last thing they would film. And Max, the boundary-pushing director, wanted more. He wanted more than a standard love scene. So at this point, everything in the movies, all these love scenes, had all been about the men, their pleasure, because that's what it's supposed to be, right? He wanted something revolutionary. He wanted it to be about Patricia and her desires. For so long, movies were catered to men, and all it depicted was women catering to men, trying to be pleasurable for men. This one should be about the woman. And how a woman uses a man to get what she wants, which is just pleasure. It's not about the man's pleasure. She's putting her pleasure first. It would be a graphic portrayal of female desire. Evelyn loved the idea. She loved the idea of women, women putting their needs at the forefront and normalizing that conversation. She wanted to push the envelope. She wanted women to be pleased instead of being desperate to please. 
Okay, the raspberries, I gotta move quick because the chocolate is melted. The raspberries are gonna start melting, but anyway, so without even thinking about it, she told Max that- Yeah, take it off fast. Okay, okay. Oh my God, it's melting. Oh my God, this is not working. Let me tell you what my group chat looks like. My sister's a pharmacist. I'm a true crime podcaster. We have a finance guy, a car guy, a watch guy. We have the weirdest mix of professions in our family group chat. So if one of us texts us in there, hey, I have a suspicious cough and I'm feeling a headache. What should I do? My sister has her medical opinion. I immediately think that person is being poisoned. And if statistics teach us anything, it's probably someone very close to that. Finance guy over here is like, well, do you have life insurance? It, okay, it's really bad. It's not a place to go if you need medical advice. But I feel like a lot of you guys are in the same boat. You're extremely unlikely to find quality medical advice in your group chat, but you can find quality advice from a doctor on ZocDoc. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care that you need. They deliver the type of experience that you want. I actually first used ZocDoc like the same week that we moved to New York City because I broke out into hives and I had no idea what was wrong with me. My group chat was pretty useless and I was new to town. I didn't have a doctor that I went to and I found a doctor that I probably wouldn't have ever found without ZocDoc. It's like this tiny little office hidden in this massive building in the middle of New York and I tell you I have never felt in better hands than with this doctor. It was wild. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient reviewed and they take your insurance, are available when you need them and treat almost every condition under the sun. Using their free app that millions of users rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs, fits your schedules. There's thousands of patient-reviewed doctors, specialists, and you can even book an appointment with a few taps on their app and start feeling better faster. Go to ZocDoc.com baking and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many of them are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C slash baking. ZocDoc.com baking. <laughs> So without even thinking about it, she told Max she was all in. Without even talking to Celia about it, which should have been fine because she could go home now and talk it over, right? And then later she can tell Max, you know what, never mind, I changed my mind. But Evelyn didn't do that. She just avoided the topic, avoided talking to Celia. She didn't want to shatter the peace. Maybe a part of her felt like Celia was going to say no. So she didn't tell Celia until it was too late, until after she saw shot the scene with Dawn. It was a passionate scene. Later, people would whisper that Dawn and Evelyn actually did it on set, which was completely false. That's just how good of an actor Evelyn was, but nobody wanted to admit to that. When Evelyn was done filming the intense scene, she retreated to her trailer, bawled her eyes out. She wasn't ashamed. She wasn't nervous about what the public would think. She realized what she had done to Celia, and that, that broke her. She rushed home, and I don't know why she didn't do this before, but I think that she was just, she was so scared of losing Celia again that she lost her. You know, it's like the harder you try to keep something, the faster it gets away from you. She brought flowers, went home, asked Harry to take the, the daughter for the night, and in the kitchen, Evelyn asked, I just wanted to let you know that Max and I discussed a scene, and the love scene in the movie is going to be a bit more graphic than what you and I were thinking. How graphic? Something to portray Patricia's desperate need to be pleasured. Her need? Yeah, we need to see that it's not just love, it has to be more than that. That makes sense, you have to answer the question of why would Patricia even stay with the guy? Exactly. So it would have to be an explicit scene, and I'll be mostly nude, for the heart of the movie to sink in. We need to see the two main characters truly vulnerable together, connecting, actually. 
Well, I want you to do the movie as you want to do it. <sighs> okay, thank you. Evelyn was relieved. But Evelyn, it's just... I don't think I can. Just knowing that you were... When you slept with Mick, I was sick for years afterwards thinking about the two of you together. I, I know. And then you slept with Harry God knows how many times. I know, honey, but I'm not sleeping with Dawn. But you have slept with Dawn. You have slept with him. So when people watch the two of you on screen, they'll be watching something the two of you have already done. But it's not real, Celia. You know that. I know. But you're prepared to make it look real. I know, I feel like I'm failing you, but I just can't do it. I can't, I know myself. And I know that this is too much for me and I'll be so sick over it. I'll make myself, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep thinking of you with him. And I'm sorry, Evelyn, I wish I could be stronger. I know you need this for your career, but I, I can't. I'm sorry, I'll do anything you want. I'll make sure I'll work the rest of my life to make it up to you. I will get you any other part that you want. I will do anything. But I just don't think I can live through it. Like she doesn't want her to film that part? Yeah, the, just a regular love scene is fine, but this like raw, passionate... But I thought she already filmed it. Yeah, she, she lied. Oh. Yeah, she didn't tell Celia. Evelyn said her heart sank to the point where she wanted to vomit. And she looked down before finally mustering up the courage to say, I already did it. And it was the end. Evelyn sobbed. This time she begged. She got on her knees. She did everything. She clung on to Celia. She let all the pride and stubbornness go. But Celia left. She said, all I have ever wanted, Evelyn, was for you to be mine. But you've never been mine. I always had to settle for a piece of you. And the world got the other half. And I don't blame you. It doesn't make me stop loving you. But I can't do it. I just can't live with my heart half broken all the time. Within a week, Celia had packed her bags and moved back to LA. She didn't pick up her phone and she served John Braverman divorce papers. Mm. Evelyn even flew to LA to beg for forgiveness, but... Celia was done. They had spent so many good years together. They were now 37, 38, and they were broken up. It was officially over. The only thing that grew was Evelyn's career. She booked two more massive roles after this one, one of which she would win an Oscar for, but it didn't matter because this movie was the end of everything. She lost Celia for this movie, and the public loved and hated her for this movie. They thought about her in this movie all night long, but they hated her for how much they loved her in the movie. They hated her for being so in the movie but they couldn't stop thinking about her sickness in the movie i hate people evelyn could really never win but she blames nobody but herself she really should have talked to celia about it before doing it evelyn clarified monique when celia said that she could never have all of me it wasn't because i was bisexual it wasn't that there was a side that celia couldn't fulfill it's because i was selfish and scared of losing my career that's what she meant please make that clear evelyn says her tragedy was that she never stopped using her body to get things she wanted she started using her body when she had nothing. She used her body to get something. And even now when she had everything, she still used her body. But in the end, Evelyn played the cruelest move on Celia, which is loving someone just enough to make them feel good enough to stick through the bad. And that's why Celia left. Monique understood, and she looked up from her notepad and said, I don't know, Evelyn. You don't seem that bad. Evelyn looked at her. You of all people are going to change your mind about that very soon. What the fork does that mean, okay? So back to the story. John, Celia's ex-husband quarterback, Harry's partner, dies at 50 years old of a heart attack. His heart stopped and so did Harry's that day. Connor was five years old. Evelyn said it was so hard to explain to her why daddy was so upset that Uncle John was gone. Why daddy was now trying to find peace at the bottom of a bottle. 
Evelyn owed it to Harry to pick up the pieces. This was her best friend. She would do anything for him. So she starts cooking breakfast. She starts cleaning up around the house. She was making sure he hung out with Connor, trying to get him excited. She read script after script, trying to find the one to get him out of bed again. It wasn't until she got Max Gerard, uh, a movie called All For Us, a movie about a single mother in New York City trying to support her children. She went to Harry and she begged him. He said, no, no. And the only reason he said yes was because she looked him in the eye and said, I think this will finally get me my Oscar. And he got up and started producing the movie. He still loved Evelyn, no matter how bad he was hurting. This was his family. This was his true blue, the mother of his child. All for us saved them. Basically, it was the only thing that helped Harry. I mean, he never really stopped drinking, but at least he didn't pick it up first thing in the morning. Four months after the movie came out, Evelyn, Harry, and Max all separately won an Oscar for the movie. Evelyn made her way to the stage, and looking out at the crowd, she said her speech, and at the end, she thanked Harry, her daughter, Max, and there's one other person out there whom I think of every day. I know she's watching right now. I just hope that she knows how important she is to me. Thank you all. Thank you. And it was wow. Wow. And it was after the Oscars, immediately after, the adrenaline still pumping, Evelyn decided to end her marriage with Harry. He was healing and she was falling in love, or thought she was, or thought she could fall in love with Max Gerard. It had been years since Celia left, and of course Evelyn never forgot about her, never stopped loving her, but she thought maybe she could try something with Max. He confessed to her that night that he had never stopped loving her. From the first movie they did of her coming out of that lake, every movie he did afterwards, she was his muse every single time. Nothing could replace Evelyn in his life. He begged her to marry him. So she did. Harry encouraged it. And he promised Evelyn, nothing would ever change between us. Nothing. I promise you, it makes more sense that we divorce. Pretty soon, people are going to know that we live separately. I mean, we'll still always be what we've always been, which is a family. And I think it'd be good for you to fall in love with someone else. Husband number six, disappointing Max Gerard. I think disappointing a woman is a very hard thing to do, but Max took on the challenge with bravado. The first red flag was that he kept calling her Evelyn Hugo. She was like, you can call me Evelyn, I'm your wife now. But no, at the airport coming home from their honeymoon, he bought a magazine of their wedding, plastered all over it. And she was like, why would you buy that? And he couldn't stop reading it. He couldn't stop looking at himself in the pictures. He said, we look pretty good, no? We look like royalty. You look so beautiful in this picture. But of course you do. That's who you are. I think I may lose a few pounds. I want to be handsome for you. You are handsome for me. I've always thought you to be handsome. No, look at this photo. I look like I have three chins. I think I've gotten to American eating fried foods all the time. He kept saying he wanted to be handsome for Evelyn. But she knew what he meant. He wanted to be handsome for the pictures that he would be taking with her. Evelyn quickly realized that Max had no intention of even trying to love Evelyn. He was only capable of loving the idea of Evelyn. Evelyn didn't even know how to tell him that she loved the idea of Evelyn too. But she just wasn't that. That year, Evelyn sat at home watching the Oscars on TV with Harry and Connor. Max was at the Oscars, getting his day in the spotlight, just where he wanted to be. And there, Celia won her third Oscar. And on stage, she was breathtaking. And at the end, she said, And to anyone tempted to kiss the TV tonight, please don't chip your tooth. And Evelyn started crying. And Harry encouraged her to reach out. And the two of them started writing letters to each other every single day, rekindling their love. So in the beginning, they would write letters to each other. And Evelyn always signed it Edward, just in case someone found the letters. But her first letter, she crossed out Edward and signed Love, Evelyn. 
yeah, so they were nonstop writing to each other, and finally Evelyn pulled the trigger, and she was going to fly to LA to see Celia. Evelyn was ready to give up everything. She hid the secret notes in her closet and rushed out while Max was asleep. And then she's like, oh, shit, I forgot something. So she rushes, rushes back into the apartment and saw Max standing there. Pieces of paper all over the ground. What are you doing? What am I doing, Evelyn? You're having a, an affair. How very French of you. I don't mind infidelity, my dear, if it's respectfully done. One does not leave evidence in the closet. I'm not cheating on you, Max. We just cut it out. Maybe you are not, I suppose. I can believe it, but... What I cannot believe is that you are a, insert homophobic slur. And she said, I'm not. Well, these letters beg to differ. You're playing me for a fool, Evelyn. You're going to LA to cheat on me? I was going to leave you, Max. I think you know that. I think you've known for some time now. I was going to leave you. If not for her, for me. For her? I love her. I always have. Max was incredulous. He shook his head and said, incredible. I've married a, insert homophobic slur. And before Evelyn walked out, he threatened her. Like many husbands before, Max operated under the belief that if he can't have her, nobody can. He threatened to out her. Evelyn didn't give a shit anymore because nobody could stop her. She pushed past Max and boarded her flight to meet Celia for dinner. They were emotional seeing each other again. Evelyn tried to tell her nonstop that she was willing to lose it all and she couldn't stop thinking about Celia and she was ready to burn it all into flames for just another moment with Celia. But now Celia didn't want it. She said, The ramifications are unpredictable. It's no longer just about our careers. What if they try to take Connor away? Because I'm in love with a woman? Yes, it's happened before. Besides, I have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. I probably won't make it past 60. Evelyn was floored. She had terminal illness. They were finally, after years of not being together, they were trying to get back into each other's lives and she was dying. And then she proposed something wild. I'm going to move to Spain. I'm retiring, moving to Spain with my brother, Robert. Uh, he used to work on Wall Street, but he knows, he knows about my sexuality. He knows about my sickness. He's been taking care of me, helping me get through it day by day. He's agreed to move to Spain. And I was wondering if you, Harry, and Connor want to join us. You could even marry my brother, and we could all be happy together. We could spend another five, ten years, whoever knows how long before I die, if we're lucky. Celia wanted to give Evelyn the chance, and she was worried that, are you going to be okay after seven, ten, I don't know how many years? You're going to lose me again because I'm going to die. Evelyn said she doesn't know if she can handle it, but there's no way that she's ever letting Celia go. So they had all the plans. Finally, the student is now the master. Celia sat Evelyn down and said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to leave Max. I'm going to call a friend of mine, a young representative in Congress. He needs some press. You're going to be seen around him. We're going to spread a rumor that you are sleeping with a 29-year-old congressman. And they'll say, wow, half her age? That's crazy. Not half her age, but you get it. And when Max tries to out you, slander you, it's going to look like he's bitter. And then, and then... Why am I marrying Robert, your brother? So when I die, everything I own will be yours. My estate will be under your control and you can keep my legacy. I've already told my brother and he's agreed to it. Yeah, but you could just appoint that to me and have someone else try to take it away because you were my lover on the grounds that we were gay. No, this is better. This is smarter. We can't tell the truth, Evelyn. You were right. Have you seen what's been going on these days? I know things have changed, but they haven't changed much. You can't risk losing Connor. So let's do it. Evelyn agreed, but she said that she would have to talk to Harry about Spain. And it's a good plan. It almost worked, but Harry wasn't on board. He didn't want to leave his career, uproot Connor's life, and... And he had fallen in love, too. It had taken him so long to feel love since John died, and he worked so hard. He didn't know it was even possible, but he fell in love. 
So the two, Harry and Evelyn, resolved to find a solution that worked for their family. They were going to talk about it later tonight when Evelyn and her driver picked up Harry to head to the airport. And it was on the drive to Harry's narrow private road. Nick, the driver, stopped the car. Evelyn stared out the window, registering what was going on. In front of them, a car was bent around a fallen tree. Harry's car. What? Evelyn rushed out and ran to the front and looked through the windshield. Harry was stumped over the steering wheel and a young man was in the passenger seat. Evelyn pulled Harry out, knowing they probably shouldn't move him, but they needed to get him help, and Evelyn knew Harry would not want it to be like this. If people knew that he was in the car with this man, they would ask questions. They would come to their own conclusions, and that was worse than death in an industry like this. Evelyn sat there with Harry in her arms, and she saw blood, so much blood, and the strong smell of bourbon. He had been drunk driving. And she knew, she knew she needed to save him. This was her true blue. She asked Nick to help Harry into their car to drive him to the ER. They put the young man from the passenger seat into the driver's seat to make it look like he was the one drunk driving. They drove just Harry to the hospital, paid off the hospital staff to keep quiet, said that he was injured at home. And from there, she told Nick, who was freaking the fork out, the driver, listen to me, take this cash, go stay at the Beverly Hills Hotel, wash up all night tonight, think long and hard. What do you want from me? I'm going to call you tomorrow. Don't tell anyone, not a single person about this. Evelyn ran back to the hospital, adrenaline pumping, ready to take care of everything and be at Harry's side. But her whole world stopped when Harry died an hour later. Evelyn's life fell apart. And the next morning, she got a call from Nick, the driver. I want you to make me famous. Evelyn was disgusted. And she warned him last night would be an even bigger secret for him too if he really wanted to be famous. He didn't care. He wanted it. And Evelyn made it happen because she had to. For Harry. For his legacy. For everything he had worked so hard for. Thank God she had Celia because who knows how she would have made it out without her. Soon after, all of them, uh, Celia, her brother, Evelyn, and their daughter, Connor, packed their bags and moved to Spain. Evelyn wiped her tears from her face and Monique tried to comfort her. It must be hard to do what you're doing. Telling your story with so much frankness, and I just want to know that I admire you for it, Evelyn. Don't say that, Monique. I know who I am, and by tomorrow you will know too. You keep saying that, Evelyn, but we're all flawed. Do you really believe your past redemption? We'll be done soon enough, and you won't be left wondering anything. Really, this is the one thing you can trust me on. Monique didn't get it. But we get to agreeable Robert Jameson, her last husband, Celia's brother. Connor came back to life in Spain. She missed her dad, she missed Harry, but she gravitated towards Celia and Robert. They took care of her, especially Celia's brother. He had always wanted a family, but he never wanted to settle down. So this was kind of perfect for him to feel like a father, but not have the responsibility of having a wife that he's committed to. And he would paint her bedroom with her, taught her how to play poker, taught her about finances. He used to work on Wall Street, and he watched her grow up from a little girl to getting accepted into Stanford and then working at, um, in one of those big hedge funds. With Connor back in the States for school, Robert lived his best life in Spain, sleeping around, having fun. Celia and Evelyn spent the rest of their lives like lovers. They went into town together holding hands. The locals minded their business. Nobody recognized them, and if they did, they gave them their space. It was technically Evelyn's eighth marriage to Celia. They had a little spiritual ceremony with rubber bands as rings. And 16 years later, Celia died in Evelyn's arms from respiratory failure. Evelyn and Robert sobbed on the floor. Evelyn had lost her soul, her love, her everything, and she was gone. It was the most painful thing she had ever experienced, 
all those years that she had spent not talking to Celia, she wished she could have just fixed it. Just one more year, one more day was all she wanted. Celia was buried in the same cemetery as Harry, and at her funeral, Evelyn excused herself, walked to Harry's grave, and threw herself on his grave and cried. Because she always went to him when she didn't know what to do. She had no idea two paparazzi were hiding snapping photos of her. The headline was, Legend Evelyn Hugo weeps at Harry Cameron's grave years later. Even then, nobody could put two and two together. Nobody could see the truth of why she was sobbing, why she was there in the first place. Nobody wanted to see her in love with Celia St. James. And that was when Evelyn knew she had to tell the story to the world. And now, with them both gone, Evelyn became Evelyn Hugo, a boring old lady. She donated majority of Celia's money to LGBTQ plus causes and lung disease research. Celia focused on Connor and Robert. Robert was never her husband, but he was family. He was Celia's brother. She focused on them until Robert died at 81 years old. And Evelyn tried to be happy again. Well, not happy, but you just try to find the small moments, right? And then your daughter dies. What? And then your life feels truly over. Connor died of breast cancer when she was 39 years old. Evelyn said... When they put her in the ground next to her father, I broke like I have never broken before. And that feeling has never left. And that's how Evelyn Hugo's story ends. Evelyn tells Monique, make sure in the end you tell everyone that Evelyn Hugo doesn't care if everyone forgets that she was ever alive. If everyone forgets her name, that doesn't matter. Say to them, Evelyn Hugo just wants to go home. It's time for her to go to her daughter, her lover, her best friend, and her mother. Tell them Evelyn Hugo says goodbye. What do you mean goodbye, Evelyn? Evelyn ignores her. Make sure it's clear that all these things are clear. I did it to protect my family and I would do everyone again. I would have done more ugly things. I would have behaved uglier if I thought it could have saved them. Evelyn, I think most people probably feel the same way about their loved ones. (sighs) Evelyn walks over and places a piece of paper in front of Monique. The man in the car with Harry? The one that I left? Yeah, this was by far the most egregious thing that she had ever done. Harry had fallen in love with a black man. His name was James Grant. He died February 26, 1989. That's the dad? Yeah. The loss of Monique's father had always been hard, not just because she lost her dad when she was young, but because she had no one to blame but her loving father. He was drunk driving. It was totally out of character. But they say you never really know what's going on with someone. But now Monique knew. Her father had never driven drunk. He had been left for dead on the side of the road, framed for his own death, and his legacy forever tarnished, his memory forever tarnished, because of f***ing Evelyn Hugo. Monique stood up in rage. You think giving me your story makes up for this? All this time you've been making me sit here listening to your life so that you could confess, and you think that your biography makes up for it? No, I don't. I did this for you. And she pulled out a crumbled piece of paper and explained that Harry was drinking that day because he had received a letter from Monique's father where he told Harry he couldn't do it. He couldn't leave his wife and child. He loved them too much. He told Harry that he didn't love his wife the way that he loved Harry, but maybe he loved his wife the way Harry loved Evelyn. And Monique, his daughter, is the happiest with both mother and father, and he knew that's how she will live her best life. And no matter how much he loved Harry, no matter how much he wanted to be with him, he could not go to Spain. He could not break up his family. Monique finishes reading the letter, and it hits her. Her father was in love with the man. Monique had more questions than ever, and she asked Evelyn, Why did you reach out to me? Why would you even tell me this? Just because I'm his daughter, so you want to make yourself feel better? I read your piece about dying with dignity. I read most of your work, actually. I thought it was beautifully written, informed, intelligent, balanced. 
It had heart, and I, admir ad I admired you. I suspected you would do a beautiful job with my story. So you put me through this to, what, make sure you don't feel guilty and that I would write your book beautifully? Monique, no one is just a victim or a victor. Everyone is somewhere between. People go around casting themselves as one or the other. They're kidding themselves, and they're painfully unoriginal. Everything in life is complex, especially your father. That's why I thought it was important for you to read the letter. I wanted you to know. Know what? That he was innocent? That he loved a man? What? That he loved you. Like that. He was willing to turn down love for you. Do you know what an amazing father you had? I wanted you to know that if I had a father like that, I would have wanted to know too. And it hits Monique. Evelyn had framed her father, ruined his reputation to save her best friend, and held on to this letter for nearly three decades because she wanted Monique to know that she was loved. Evelyn was so complicated. Like, is this evil? Is this not evil? What is this? Evelyn tells Monique that she can publish the book soon. She's dying of breast cancer. How far along is it? Far enough for me to hurry up and get this done. I saw my daughter go through this, and I see what's ahead of me, and I want to get my affairs in order. And with that, we see Evelyn send off her uh, Grace, her assistant, on vacation with her family, and she mentions to Monique that she made sure Grace is taken care of, and the rest of her legacy will go to charity. And it hits Monique. Evelyn wants to die now. Evelyn was never going to let the thing that made her be the thing that destroys her. She was going to take power, and she was going to die when she wanted to. Before she left for the last time, she said, Evelyn, what are you? Evelyn looks at her innocently. Nothing. And the two lock eyes. And Evelyn wishes her to have an exceptional future. And she says, I hope you wrangle the very best out of this world. And I believe you will. I really do believe that. Monique knew that Evelyn was saying goodbye, and yet she left. She walked out that door, and she started panicking. Should she turn back? Should she beg Evelyn not to do it? Should she call 911, try and stop her? But it hits her. Evelyn trusted Monique with her life story, but also with her death. It would be a betrayal to stop her. Monique knows that Evelyn is in her right mind, and she has the right to die as she has lived, entirely on her own terms. But it's breaking her. And she goes home to her mom that's visiting and her mom has no, she has no idea what to do. She asked her mom about her dad and her mom says, the marriage was different, you know? We weren't passionate. We weren't ripping each other's clothes off, but we were soulmates. We talked all night. We had so much fun. And I don't know if I would ever find that in someone else. And so Monique didn't know whether to tell her mom the truth or keep this out of the biography or leave it in or leave the person unnamed or tell the world. She didn't know. But that night, she cried in her mom's arms while she watched Evelyn's movie, All For Us. And Monique fell asleep to the sound of Evelyn's voice. And she knew that one day, not today, but one day she would forgive her. Headlines broke one last time for Evelyn Hugo. March 26, 2017, legendary film siren has died. She will be buried next to her daughter and ex-husband, Harry Cameron. And that is the end of The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Stop. Beautifully written. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, when that plot twist hit, I mean, you have to read the book because I'm sure I did a horrible job at explaining it, but when you read it, it's like every sentence it builds... 
and you just you feel so much emotion I love how complicated it is like even the part where Monique is walking away from Evelyn's knowing that Evelyn is about to take her own life it's so raw it's like she knows the right thing to do but it's human nature to want to do the opposite it's just so complicated and then just the emotion she feels of like do I protect my mom do I what do I do what wow, are your wow, thoughts? Wow. He's like absorbing all of this. Wow. <laughs> I think it's the first time he's been like, wow, wow, wow. It just like leaves such a feeling, like an yes. empty feeling in your heart. Like I want to cry. I feel like I've been through seven lives or something. Mm -hmm. And I just want to cry. And I feel like I want to mourn something. And I don't mm -hmm. even have anything to mourn. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on this one? Please leave it in the comments. Make sure to check out the rest of Taylor Jenkins Reads books. And I will see you guys tomorrow. Bye.